The Low Post is presented by Amazon Music. Did you know you could be listening to this episode of The Low Post ad-free on Amazon Music? And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast early on a Thursday morning. Jeff Van Gundy, probably fresh from the clubs in South Beach, didn't even go to sleep, just came right on the pod. How are you, sir? Good. A little, little tired, you know. The clubs were hopping last night. Who goes harder, you, Breen, or Mark Jackson? Who, who's, who's got the best dance moves at the club? You know, you guys, you skip the lines. You, 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 there's no line for you. I'm going to say, if hard means being in bed 30 minutes after the game, then I go the hardest. Yeah. <laughs> um, so last night, a championship-level performance by the Denver Nuggets. Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic dueling 30-10-10 triple-doubles. 66 combined points on 24 of 43 shooting, 14 of 16 from the foul line. If I did my math right, that's 66 out of 109 points. Six of Jokic's 10 assists went to non-Murray players. Four of Murray's 10 assists went to non-Jokic players, I think, if I'm doing my math right. That's basically two guys just by themselves with the brilliance of their two-man game, with the brilliance of their individual games, Combined with a clean defensive performance by Denver, an incredible rim defensive performance by Denver. The Heat shot 35% at the rim and 43%, I think, on twos. Their best defensive performance of the game after kind of an arduous 72 hours for them with Michael Malone calling out their effort with a reportedly sort of, you know, feisty film session with some comments that I think were clearly directed a little bit at Michael Porter Jr.'s defense from Game 2. Denver came out in a hostile environment and pretty much laid the smackdown on the heat. What stood out to you, Coach? What was your just big-picture takeaway? I thought Murray's aggression offensively right from the start, I think because he was so active and aggressive and and so good, uh, the heat had to try to start blitzing him. And I thought that impacted him a couple times. I thought... They did some really good things. But anytime Denver gets two on the ball, it's such a win for them because the then the ball finds Jokic in a four-on-three situation, and ultimately he's going to make the right play. And I thought, you know, Christian Brown did a tremendous job cutting, finding his way to lay- layups as the defense extended. So I thought Murray's aggression, Jokic's basically normal brilliance. And then, as you said, I thought – the defense uh, was much more alert, far fewer like technical mistakes. Yeah, there there were maybe just a couple of breakdowns, and Miami didn't capitalize as readily as they did uh, in Game 2. I think there were probably more Denver defensive breakdowns in the first five minutes of Game 2 than there were in the entirety of Game 3. And, and by breakdowns, I just mean just flat-out mistakes. Sometimes a team is going to grind you into a miscommunication where two guys are playing kind of honestly good defense. You've put them in kind of a chaos situation. I'm talking breakdowns, breakdowns. You just said normal, brilliant for Jokic, and I know people know the numbers, but it's only three games in. It's only three games in. Nobody's won anything yet. 33 points, 12 rebounds, 9 assists, 59% shooting, 63%, I think, on twos. Three games in, he's on pace for one of the greatest finals ever, but they don't give you any trophies for three games in. But um, 
just watching him up close last night, watching the two-man game up close last night, as, as just sort of the art of it and the skill of it, were there plays that stood out to you? Was there something that stood out to you? I would love a chart on how many times his two-point shots hit the rim first and fall in versus roll out. Some people just have a naturally soft shot. Others have a naturally hard shot. His invariably, even when that first hit of the rim doesn't seem like there's an angle for it to roll in, it just finds its way in. So that's one thing that stands out to me, just the exquisite touch. And then I think I just love every interview. Like, I just love how he gives to his teammates the credit, particularly Murray, always trying to build him up as far as being their best player. And then I think what stood out to me last night is after the game, he saw a former teammate in Monte Morris and his just natural reaction to seeing a teammate who used to play with them instead of celebrating his own greatness. He looked like he really enjoyed the chance interaction with someone he once played with. And I thought that was exactly what you would hope to see from anybody who plays a team sport. I, I didn't see that. Was that caught on television? I, I sh- as soon it as was. the game was over, I, I started doing rewatching parts of it, and st- I didn't see that. That's cool. Yeah, it was very cool. I just, I mean, that's everybody tells you what you can get out of being a part of a team, but the camaraderie, even through defeat, sometimes there's nothing that replicates it. I, it was just extremely cool to see, you know, Morris and him exchange, you know, like general real happiness. To see one another. Well, I mean, look, every time a team does something serious, and again, the Nuggets have, have won, what, 14 playoff games now? 14 and four. So that's serious. Even if they don't end up finishing the job, that's still serious. Um, there are guys who are no longer on the team who were an important part of their journey there. And Monte Morris is one of those guys, not just for what they traded him for. They're starting to guard KCP, who has not had a great series so far, a great last two games anyway. But for... The role they played in all the playoff experience that Denver got on the way here. And there's a lot. We could go through lots of guys, coaches, front office people, Tim Connolly, who played a role. So I think that's part of the reason why it's cool, because I'm sure that Jokic, it's not just, hey, buddy, I know you. It's you were a big part of what is going on right here. Yeah. And I think Jokic has a way about him that draws people to him. Like there are some stars that other players tolerate because they know of their greatness and their impact on winning. Jokic to me seems like the kind of guy because of how he plays the game and how he gives credit to others that people gravitate to and really enjoy being around. And I I just, I'll tell you, I think he is somebody and I think the, the ratings show that through two games. I'm not sure what it was last night, but where people were worried that people would not tune in, I think once you see Jokic, you want to tune in more. I would agree. And I want to shout out Murray, too, because, you know, the shot making, I think, gets gets a lot of the attention. And he, he makes four or five just demoralizing, you've done a pretty good job, and he just pivots and spins and fades away, and you're like, what, what the hell am I supposed to do? And it, he has a knack for doing that in the very few minutes where Jokic is off the floor. And last night, they played 45 and 44 minutes. They played 40 minutes together last night. 40 minutes, a duo, plus 14 in those minutes. I, I just think his 
because Jokic is such an otherworldly, once in a lifetime superstar and like a totally rare archetype, not even an archetype, just a totally rare player, he gets most of the adulation for their two man game. I, I thought last night, first of all, they ran 32 pick and rolls together last night, according to Second Spectrum. That's their most in any game this season, tied for their most in any game this season. His artistry in making that sing, I think, doesn't quite get enough attention. And so you mentioned the blitzing last night. And yeah, that that got him a couple times. He had that lollipop turnover on the sideline right at the beginning of the third quarter, I think. But there were a couple other times where he strung it out to the side, got around Bam, who was really trying to trying to press him outside. One of them, uh, Bruce Brown got a three. I think he missed. Another one, uh, Aaron Gordon got a dunk because he drew a third defender. He got around both the first two, drew a third one, dumped it to Aaron Gordon. But just like the little hesitations... And then accelerations that draw Bam that extra step further and get Jokic that extra step further in the paint. There was a floater in the first half where Jokic caught the ball like 14 feet from the rim and had so much space. He was like, oh, I could just kind of walk this into an eight footer and, and float it in. And and that a lot of that is Murray just bobbing and weaving and cracking open little windows of space that wouldn't be there otherwise. Just I thought his his... He did have seven turnovers and credit Miami's pressure defense for that. But I thought his kind of guile was on display last night. I just love the way he started the game. You know, he came off game two where I thought he was good. Like, you know, you look at the numbers, you watch the game. He was good. But it, it's a different – it was a different mindset to attack early and to not just score – like. To me, the most impressive plays weren't even his his buckets. To me, it was he had two rebounding sequences where he beat people to the ball. And to me, that shows again, you can have all the speeches in the world, but when your best players do the hard things and they're willing to make contact plays, and you're gonna get like bumped and bruised like he did last night, grabbing his hand, got stepped on, awkward fall. But those plays are inspiring. And, you know, to me, he set a great tone last night. Obviously, the ball went in. Obviously, he he contorted the defense, making him blitz him. Uh, but then I just thought the effort plays and the, and the tone he set was really special. He should be really proud of himself. It was a serious performance by the Nuggets and – in a serious game, and you and I were texting before the game about, you know, we, we had these TV segments yesterday about who needs the game most, Miami or Denver. And you and I were kind of like, it's game three of the NBA Finals. Everyone needs this one. And they came out, both teams came out with a level of urgency requisite to the moment. And so here's where we are through three games. Denver is plus 23 for the series. And I think the stat that is maybe the stat of the series their offensive rating through three games, 117.6 points per 100 possessions. That would have ranked second in the regular season behind only the Kings by easily over third. So a very good offensive rating. To do that in 2023 with 24 made threes in three games, shooting 32% from three in those three games and have an offensive rating that high is unusual. It's a credit to low turnovers, high offensive rebounds, good number of free throws, and great 
two-point calculated cutting Christian Brown's cutting against the zone. For people who have been longing for, I don't want to watch teams just shoot 53s a game and it's a make-or-miss league. And if Boston shoots 40%, they win. And if they shoot 38%, they lose. 118 offensive rating on a piddling number of threes is... I don't, it's just, I looked at the numbers. I'm like, man, they only have 24 threes. I mean, that's, that is, in in, in its way, it's entertaining to watch. Oh, I think variety is absolutely enjoyable to watch. It's very hard to go on the road, turn the ball over so much more than your opponent make. I think that would they make six less threes than their opponent than Miami last night? I think they only uh, made five. Five of 18 from three, 11 of 35. And for the series, Miami has 17 more threes on 36 more attempts. And I think that's what sometimes I think players too, particularly in transition, but also in half court, they think of the three as the best shot. Whereas the layup will always remain the best shot in basketball. And I think free throws being second, I think sometimes we get it that like inverted thinking like particularly in transition where you should be running for layups you have the guys going for the home run three a lot I think what Denver is willing to do from a cutting standpoint obviously Jokic is you know the great passing makes it easier but I loved how Christian Brown took one three last night and he knocked it off the side of the back (laughs) I was gonna say it wasn't pretty if he tried to play a spot-up game, he would be a liability. But because he give, he has great energy and he has tenacity and he's willing to cut and move and he has a sense of timing, he was so important to them last night. Aaron Gordon, if he was spotting up and just being a stationary-type player, no, he doesn't do that. He Now, he does it because he gets rewarded, obviously, Jokic is always looking to reward, but I just, I think sometimes we become these stationary players and I think it's easier to guard. I think every player has to figure out, particularly the ones that aren't just gifted off the dribble. How can I get layups and how can I get to the free throw line? You know, Duncan Robinson in game two, like showed an improvement, putting it down the ground. Okay. On a hard closeout of the curl on a cut. Like, he's figuring out how to get layups and diversify his offense, and I think everybody's got to think that way. How can I get a layup, and how can I get to the free throw line? Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. With a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. For the ones who get it done! 
Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. A couple of things. Uh, Christian Brown, you know, the blitzes kind of unnerved Denver for a minute, and you could see them within the game kind of figuring out ways around it. And one of them was, you know, he just positioned himself as a release valve a couple of times when there were two on the ball with Murray and maybe the pass to Jokic wasn't there. Once he popped up on the wing, once he cut into the baseline kind of in an open area and Jamal Murray hit him directly, skipping Jokic just hit him. Um, I thought that was really good. And then they started doing the, like the screen, the screener play where, okay, bam, if you want to blitz, we're going to hit you with a pick on the way up to the pick and roll and put you behind the play. So they're going to start to figure um, some of those things out. And Aaron Gordon, I, I thought Denver came out with a very, and, and this is this is hard to do. Miami has 23 turnovers in three games. I mean, like that's an unthinkably low number. They are getting shots on goal. That's one of their ideologies. You hear supposed say it. It's hard to run when you get no turnovers. And Denver last night, I thought, made a concerted effort. Anytime you miss at the rim, we are going as fast as we can. You know, Bam, I think Butler threw a lob to Bam that Bam couldn't quite reach. He leaps forward, he falls over. Bruce Brown gets a five on four three. Jokic is pushing every time. And there was one play you mentioned, and they got some of these Aaron Gordon buckets from game one that they didn't have in game two, where Jokic kind of brought it up pretty fast. And Aaron Gordon was ahead of Jimmy Butler and just kind of sealed him we normally think of guys sealing guys under the rim with their back to the basket. He sealed Jimmy Butler up at the foul line with Jimmy Butler's body between him and midcourt, and Jokic just kind of led him for a layup. I thought their pace last night, which Mike, Mike Michael Malone talked about, was they they were urgent with it. They made a real effort to do it against a team that's not giving them any easy chances to do it. I thought Aaron Gordon, uh, I know people would talk about his start of game one, and that was important. I thought last night was his best overall game. I thought his rebounding in traffic uh, and his bust-out dribbles uh, led to really good stuff. He found Jokic on a, a deep duck-in in transition. He got his own dunk once. Like He made like harder plays when the ball was in the air and then turned him into tangible offense. I thought he was really, really good last night. Um. Miami 11 of 35 from three, and they missed some good ones. Like Gabe Vincent had a good one in the corner on an out of bounds play. Kyle Lowry missed a couple open pull ups where the Nuggets kind of got hung up on screens. Um, they'll shoot. They'll shoot better in Game Four, hopefully. Um, Denver's defense, though, I thought, and Aaron Gordon's in particular. Like Jimmy Butler tried to fool him a couple times by rejecting screens, and he read it like like as if he knew it were coming. Um, what stood out to you about Denver's defense? How did they pull off this 35% shooting at the rim? I mean, I thought Jokic's rim defense was good. He had two blocks. Bruce Brown was credited for three blocks that were kind of like half blocks, half strips on shots around the basket. Um, for a team that's not known as a defensive team, what, what did they do to Miami last night? Yeah, I, I thought they were good. They Like, if you take away the mistakes and just make people beat you over the top, you have a good chance of 
playing good enough defense to win. And I thought, I thought Miami got great things when Jimmy Butler had a matchup either initially in transition or after a screen by a small that got him with anybody but Gordon on him. I thought he really did a good job in attacking every other matchup. I thought he missed some. I think he was six for 16 and half, something like that. I thought he had great opportunities in the first half that he didn't cash in at, at the high percentage that you would expect. So I think they can go to that more. But I just think Denver did a much better job eliminating, you know, blatant mistakes. You know, if you don't get beat in transition and then you don't make, you know, bad mistakes, they have such good overall size that it becomes hard, even if they're not the most vertical team to go up and block shots or anything like that. Because to to me, Adebayo struggled last night to score. Like I'm so impressed, first of all, with Adebayo. Like, oh my God. To to, to get party plays, screening, passing. And and he had good opportunities and he just he missed. And I think, you know, Butler and he, if they get the same shots, they'll do better. And I think you look at the combination of Struess, Vincent, uh, after playing, you know, getting him off to a great start in game two, Struess did, and then Vincent was such a great, you know, he played so well, you know, in that second half with Robinson, like they didn't get a big contribution from any of those guys last night. So, yeah, I think they'll play better, and I think there's some things that they can go to. But if Denver doesn't make blatant mistakes like they did in game two, their size could still win out. Yeah, I thought um, Butler finished with 28 on 11 of 24. Four assists is the number that stood out to me. I thought they were, Denver was a little bit more careful with when they helped and where they helped from, both when he was going one-on-one against Murray and Caldwell Pope, he's also bullying too. And on the pick and roll, I thought they were, instead of, we're going to, if we're dropping back on Jimmy, instead of bringing that third guy all the way in every single time, we're going to try to play two on two or like two and a half on two and make those kickout reads a little harder. Jokic had a block on Butler at the rim. Maybe it was on Bam on a pocket pass. I can't remember. Um, on a play that he played two on two, basically a pick and roll. He played two on two. And then Vincent and Struess, three of 17. Duncan Robinson had a couple of threes late that didn't add up to much. What did you make of... Um, it's it's always curious to me when Miami and and they did it when they were behind um, substantially in the fourth quarter goes with the lineup that has no Struess and no Robinson like neither of their ace shooters so it's Lowry Vincent Butler Martin Bam I I always think I I I guess Spo is thinking let's just go all defense and see if we can get back into the game that way I I do I, that lineup's interesting to me and it's also interesting that we have not seen like the Butler, Martin, Love, Bam, super big lineup that maybe they just think is too slow. But what did you? What do you make of that, like, no Struess, no Robinson look? Well, I thought for a time there, that 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 lineup had the, has the ability to really extend the floor. Uh, the physicality is tremendous. And, and the quickness and speed, again, Miami is not the most gifted offensive team. And so 
I think they're searching each and every night, you know, how can we keep our defensive integrity while still having enough offense on the floor? And I thought, you know, again, I thought Martin looked better last night than he did in the first two games. I, I They just got absolutely pummeled in the paint, pummeled on the backboard. And, you know, there's a lot of things that go into why that happened. But at the end of the day, the size of Denver, to me, showed up and showed out and was the absolute difference in the game. There was just – they're just big. And I think Miami, you know, like Adebayo, what's he, 6'8", six, 6'9", six, whatever he six, is? 6'9". Six, I mean, yeah, he's fighting as hard as he can. But Jokic's size advantage. And then you go Gordon and Porter Jr., uh, all the way through, I just think their their overall size uh, won out last night. Uh, the tracking numbers on Second Spectrum seem a little wonky to me uh, this morning. I think there's there's something off um, in Denver's scoring against the the Heat zone. Uh, it only lists them right now as facing one possession of zone defense, which is obviously wrong. Something happened there, but to my eyes, that was Denver's best game against the zone. Uh, what did you think and what did you see? I, again, I don't have the numbers, but it, it seemed to me they were comfortable against the zone, and Miami kind of came out of it a little earlier than you would think. Well, I thought they ran more. They ran a, a couple different actions uh, that just took Jokic and didn't put him in the like high post area. They got him in the low post one time against the zone. That's where Christian Brown had one of his cuts and, and finishes. I think – they moved Jokic or Jokic moved himself, however it worked, uh, to different spots on the floor. And then I thought they were more active in the cutting game once the ball found Jokic. So I agree with you. I thought they played uh, very well, very comfortably. And obviously, you know, Miami wasn't in zone as much, but you're right. I mean, they were in it, I'm going to say, 10, 12 times for sure. I was going to say, I was going to guess like a dozen, a dozen times. What else can Miami do to win game four other than just make make more threes? What did what adjustments are there? What did you see out there? What else is there for them to do? I think when they blitz Murray, I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't stay on the blitz as long as they did last night. I would blitz hard for a, a slide and slide and a half and then get back so we're not stretched out as long. I think that's one thing defensively that they could go to, but I would I would uh, blitz Murray at the start to try to negate his initial aggression. I think you keep attacking uh, Porter Jr. when you can. Um, to try I think to, they should. I think they should do that more. I think they. I think they didn't go at him enough last night. You know, Stru- they got off like Struce made some good plays early. Uh, passes, you know, he had like I think four assists early in the game. Uh, I think getting Butler, getting Gordon off of Butler as early in the shot clock as possible uh, will produce good shots. And I think Adebayo again, like he he's taken twenty shots in, in a game. He should, he needs to. I think his night started with a a really good initial move on the first possession of the game, and he and he missed a. Uh, an easy like reverse layup, but I think he's got to keep going at Jokic uh, off the dribble. I thought I, again, like to me, they've got to shoot better. Certainly, they've got to get 
you know, I think Vincent was troubled by the early foul trouble, never found a good rhythm. Somebody's going to have to step forth and make, you know, three, four threes. But I, I think, you know, it comes down to, you know, the Riley, no rebounds, no rings. You're not winning games. You lose, you know, getting out rebounded by 25. You're just, you're just not. And, and you can't get pummeled in the paint. The, the game in the paint is more consistent than the three point game. So, you know, they're going to have to figure out how they can stand uh, firmer in the paint and on the board. But there are some things offensively that I think they can do and did last night to get good shots. And I think they've got to continue to exploit those. Yeah, it's it, it's interesting you mentioned Struess and Struess's playmaking because I kind of thought, you know, I've, I've talked a lot about how they have to get Jokic moving from the paint to the arc and back on the same possession. I call it the Jokic yo-yo. Get him, get him uh, dropping back against Butler and then pivot into a bam two-man game with Strews or Robinson, and you've got to get back up, and he's got to chase, and then the pocket pass is there. I thought they lost that thread of their offense a little bit um, in the second half, and they can, they can get a little more out of that. Porter, I, I, I want to talk about Porter. So they run the first play of the game for Michael Porter Jr. Clearly, Michael Malone said, we're going to try and get you going. Pin down for Michael Porter Jr. He misses. He finishes one of seven, two points. This is a guy who's averaged like 20 a game in the NBA for long periods of time. Two points. He's had a miserable series. Um, plays 21 minutes. They close with their Bruce Brown all-defense and Jokic and Murray lineup. And yet, and he was the subject of much criticism coming out of game two. And yet there were a couple of plays, one of which you called out right on the broadcast, where he got what he got switched on to Jimmy Butler in the third or fourth quarter, I can't remember which. Nice rear view contest on a Butler long two. And then later, somebody missed, and he just went right around Struess for a monster offensive rebound, missed the putback, and I think it ended with a Jokic putback. It was like a tip parade, and Jokic put it in. And those two plays like those are winning effort plays and they made me hopeful for for Michael Porter Jr's sake that he might have a game yet in him in the series because his offense isn't going his minutes are down he's a young player he was a little sulky in game 2 and he could have got super sulky last night and those couple of plays he made I was like he's still his head is still in this series and if he keeps his head in this series and it goes long enough, he is going to have a game when the threes fall for him. I thought those plays, I just they just kind of worm their way into my brain. Well, that's how you work your way out of any offensive struggle is to get out of yourself, get back into the team, and make plays that require effort and energy. And he had – I, I love the offensive rebound sequence that you talked about. Uh, I think – Mark, I, I don't think Mark agrees with me, but if when Gordon rests, when Butler's in, I'd rather have Porter Jr. on him with size than the smaller, more acclaimed uh, other Nugget defenders. I, I just think size on Butler is more impactful than, you know, speed and, and lateral quickness. And so I think if, if Porter Jr., Look, I think some of his issues defensively are effort, but they're also body type. He's this, like, really 
I mean, he must be six eleven. He must be almost seven feet. He's so big. I think he's listed at six ten, but he's he's a huge. I mean, he's huge. It's hard getting down and negotiating these screens, and oftentimes on these screens, he's so far behind the his the guy he's guarding at the point of the screen that they're almost forced into a Jokic early on some of these Struce passes had to hold so long on on Struce. And I, I think sometimes Porter Jr. should just veer back to the guy who screened him because his size does give him the ability to hold his ground against uh, like a Bam Adebayo. And I, I liked him on Butler. But I, I just think, you know, make these effort plays and your offense will find itself. He's too good a shooter if he's in the right frame of mind and he's getting into the game from an effort standpoint to continue to miss. Yeah, I find those minutes when Butler is on the floor and Gordon is on the bench to be really interesting. Um, You know, going into the series, I wondered if they would just try to play Gordon every minute that Butler is on the floor. And then you think, well, I mean, Butler is one of those players who's going to play 45 minutes, 42 minutes, whatever it is in the biggest games. And Aaron Gordon, you know, they have guys who, who are good off the bench who tend generally kind of take little bites of Aaron Gordon's minutes. He's not a 45 minute a game player. I, I still wonder that those minutes from a Nuggets perspective, what's like when I see Jeff Green on Jimmy Butler and Jeff Green's having an okay series, I, I I'm like, Ooh, that, that doesn't seem like a great matchup. And the same, what do you, what do you think of, have, should Spo just have Bam out there every minute Jokic is out there? And, and that's a harder question. I think than people realize because Jokic plays the whole first quarter and the whole third quarter, and Jimmy Butler likes to play the whole first quarter and the whole third quarter. So if Bam is also playing the whole first quarter and the whole third quarter, you've got to either rest Butler at a, at a different place or you're going to end up resting them both together at some point, maybe. I mean, but but any the minutes with Zeller have not been good. No, but last night he actually held up much better than he did out in in Denver. You know, he got the charge call uh, last night. I I thought he he held up better last night. But again, you know, if Jokic and Murray are basically playing the whole game, yeah, I I think it's 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 really hard. I mean, particularly if they're if they're rolling like they were last night. I mean, the conditioning it takes to play forty five minutes hard where the ball's in your hand and you're having to create plays like and then guard particularly like a perimeter player like Murray uh, that was phenomenal conditioning and so then you go to uh, Adebayo like you think about him blitzing pick and rolls being undersized in comparison to Jokic uh, being really the only player of size on the floor oftentimes to having to try to you know rebound the ball in traffic you know, create plays, shoot jump shots. I mean, there has to be some minutes where he can rest. But when you look at how the games have gone, he's going to probably have to play, um, you know, 42-plus every night. And this is, you know, game four is the last time. There's only, there's the only time. There's one day between game. Every other game in this series, there's two game days in between. So, I think that plays to both teams because both teams really right now, you know, Miami plays more guys, but the two main guys 
or both teams are going to play huge minutes. I, I'm interested to see if Miami goes to someone other than Zeller. I, I don't I don't see how they could right now. It that's part of the drama of the finals. As just a fan of these games, is as a coach, you have to look into the eyes of your best players and say. Can you give me forty-seven minutes? Can you can can you give me another? I mean, like you probably you probably remember conversations like that, looking at you know whether it was Ewing or Allen Houston or somebody, and saying, you know, how, do you have any more for me? Right. Well, yeah, and I think I think back then again, you know, I I just remember like you know when the finals that we were in in '99, you know, this was preload management days for San Antonio who started it like I would have loved if Tim Duncan had played like you know 34 minutes a game you know but he was playing like 45 minutes a game and like at those moments I think that's why people that that's why people try to manage minutes throughout the course of the season so if you're fortunate enough to get to where Miami and Denver is right now you can play as many minutes as as necessary and I think you know as necessary last night was 44 and 45 for Denver they 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 knew especially going into the fourth quarter we've tried the rest we've played two lousy fourth quarters if we're going to play a third lousy fourth quarter it's going to be because our best players were on the floor and they were too too tired but we're not trying to get them you know two three minutes rest and then we you know, lose the cushion that we built up. So uh, I think these, I think, you know, every game is different, but I wouldn't suspect much would be different minute wise with the two stars for Denver. We saw a couple um, hard double teams on Jokic post-ups last night. Miami's really trying to stay home on the shooters when Jokic is posting up. First of all, they're trying to get him to not be able to post up by fronting him all the time. We saw him, seal bam for a lob like post up at the elbow almost and get a lob that he just missed a chippy out of that but we did see a couple hard double teams um one of which resulted in murray getting that one pass away three the nearest guy they're trying to help off the nearest guy and get right back to him and not help off anybody else and i highlighted a possession in game two when butler did that off of murray Jokic kicked it to him and the pass was like low into the left and murray couldn't get an open three off. He had to repost it. And Bam, of course, was already fronting because Bam's an animal. Um, then, and I said, it's like, that's the margin, like inches. That's the margin. And, and last night that pass was on target and he got what might be the first like easy one pass away three they've got in the entire series. And Lowry got a strip on another hard double two. Kyle Lowry, that dude's hands must be made of like, I, I don't even know, like whatever Wolverine is made of. What if Titan, what if, I don't know whatever Wolverine is made of in the X-Men. He's got such great anticipation, such strong hands, and he'll put his body into the play. And, you know, again, my term is contact plays, whatever anybody else. He's not avoiding. He's he's inserting himself into the mix, and he does it with intelligence, toughness, and like you said, tremendous anticipation and use of his hands. Really hard to do. He's a great screener. And I thought they missed some opportunities, not opportunities, but there were good plays where he screened for Butler last night when he had Murray on him and he would flip the angle of the screen and like Jimmy would, Jimmy went kind of the way that Aaron Gordon expected him to. So Denver shut that off, but I like him screening for Butler 
um, and vice versa, really, because, you know, um, they can go under sometimes on Butler when he's the ball handler. But Kyle Lowry is just an awesome, awesome screener. And I think there's there are little bits of profit for them to get going there, too. I agree. I thought they did a good job. Uh, again, I think Butler, if you look at the quality of his shot, uh, you know, he think he took four threes. He, he made one versus an Aaron Gordon going under a pick and roll. Uh, but the other shots he got, I thought he, he could have easily had, instead of 11 for 24, to me he could have had 14 for 24, 15 for 24. I thought, I thought he, because of those screens and other people, other small guys setting screens, forcing switches, and then him having advantageous matchups, I thought he could have had, you know, he had 28, but I thought he could have had, you know, a 40-point game. I thought that was the quality of shot he got. And if they're able to do that again, I think that's really good offense for him. And I got to say, every time a team goes under a screen against Butler, the same thing goes on in my brain in real time every single possession. Oh, that's really smart. They're mixing and they're going under Jimmy Butler. I like, oh, he just made a three-pointer. Like, it just he just every time they do it, he punishes them, and I know you got to go. I just want to highlight one defensive possession that. Can I say people... one last thing on that? Y- yes, that? absolutely. Uh, Bam Adebayo as a screener is so good. Like I don't know what the legality of his screens are, but these are full body. Like I'm taking you out of the play. You try to go under against a lot of guys. You can go under, and the guys aren't impact. Bam Adebayo, like he's cleaning you up, like. This guy gets people more space, and I don't know what how you could chart this, but to me, he gets guys more space, more separation than an average screener. This guy, like we talk about making guys better with passes, this guy makes guys better because of his willingness to screen on an every-night basis. It is impressive. I Coach, on this podcast, I have pitched already the last week that part of the NBA's media training should be at Summer League we all have to try to get around a Bam Adebayo screen against like a good NBA, like like bring Gabe Vincent into summer league. We all have to try see how that feels because it doesn't it doesn't feel good. And if you try to get under it, they're gonna win the race to the other side because you're gonna get hung up. You're not getting clean under that thing. No, he's not allowing that. Like I, I watch. I mean, it's 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 really impressive. If people want to see a really good Denver defensive possession and how they were locked in last night. About 2.15 left in the third quarter. Kyle Lowry, bam, pick and roll. Christian Brown is on Lowry. <clears throat> three Heat players are spaced to the right side. The other three guys are all bunched up together. Christian Brown chases over the screen. A, A+. plus. Jokic drops back. Solid. Bam's rolling. Bruce Brown, because the other three guys are all bunched up, says, I can come in and help a little bit here. My other two guys can, can take these three guys. They're close together. Comes in and helps off of... Um, I want to say Caleb Martin. Kyle Lowry sees that, kicks the ball to Caleb Martin. Kyle Lowry's like right under the rim when he makes this pass. Bruce Brown flies out with the ball, runs Caleb Martin off the line. Caleb Martin beats him off the dribble. Who does he run right into? Christian Brown, who's in there because Kyle Lowry was in the paint. Kyle Lowry's going back out to the arc. Bruce Brown reads that right away. So, okay, I'm switching on to Kyle Lowry. Possession dies out. Denver was like dialed in last night on defense. And when they're dialed in on defense, I mean, I pick Nuggets in six. I just think they're a little bit better than Miami. 
And game four, obviously, coach, it's it's a must win for Miami. They're not going to beat Denver three times in a row. They're not going to beat them twice at home. I don't think you're laughing at me. Is it not a must win? No, it is. It's I, I I'm I'm laughing because like when we talk in the playoffs, like like it's important for Miami. But it, like you said earlier, like it's also important for Denver. I mean, you, it's not about getting home court advantage. It's about like not being softened by the win last night. If you're Denver, like, no, like we have to come out. You cannot mess around. It's just, they are a little bit better, but they're not so much better that they can, they can be assured like, Hey, if we turn it into a three game series, we got two at home. It'll take care of itself. We've all seen these, the pressure that mounts on game five home teams. And it's hard. And so then if you if you're not successful there, you're going back to Miami game six. Like so, you know, they're all important. Obviously, it's in this case, you would say it's more important for Miami. But I, I think that's a dangerous mentality. If you're Denver, you have to conjure up in your mind that this game is more important to us or as important to us. You're, you're right. You're playing for the championship. You know, like every game, every inch you get there matters. Miami wins tomorrow. It's 2-2. They've beat Milwaukee. They beat Boston. One team has won in Denver in the playoffs. One. It's them. They don't care. They don't care that they lost by 15. They, it's already out of their brains. They're going to come back and they're going to pound you and pound you and pound you because that's what the Heat do. So I can't wait for game four. Jeff Van Gundy, you'll be on the call with our friends Mike Breen and Mark Jackson. Thank you for your time, sir. You got it. Have a great day. The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats experience every touchdown, every tackle, every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code LOW. That's code LOW, L-O-W-E, my last name, the name of this podcast. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right. I want to understand what the hell is going on with Chris Paul. So there's nobody better to do that with than resident cap expert, Florida man, Bobby Marks. How are you, sir? I'm good, Zach. How are you? Good. I, I just had Van Gundy on to talk about the finals, and I mentioned all these Miami Heat lineups and machinations and adjustments, and I forgot to mention Tyler Hero, um, who's – so I, before we start with the Chris Paul Mendes, I just wanted to acknowledge Tyler Hero and the possibility that he might return, and last night felt like a game where I've said before that the Heat could use his pull-up jump shooting in short spurts here and there. I wouldn't overdo it, but – you know, he told our Roz Gold on Wude that he's still experiencing soreness. That was in game two in, in his hands. So I, I just wanted to at least 
you know, remember that Tyler Hero exists as a potential wild card here as the Heat try to even up the series or get into the series or whatever. But the longer it goes, the more it feels like, is this just going to not happen with Tyler Hero? Is this just a next year thing? We'll see. Well, yeah, I mean, especially if if, uh, if they don't get game four. I mean, this thing could be over by Monday, right? I mean, that's kind of the reality of it. I think if... Um, if you know certainly if they even it out um you know we might see him here but yeah i mean there's certainly parts of game um of three and i thought game one um you know i think we forget how good of a rebounder he is too with his size um even if he's not out there making shots just to you know gives you another uh, another body with if your lineup is struggling with the Struce, vincent martin um duncan robinson group out there bigger defender so we'll see if he's out there but as i as i said if we if this thing goes back to denver 3-1 um i don't like the chances of seeing tyler hero out there so i am in the nba finals bunker and i don't like to come out of the nba finals bunker bobby because the nba final this is the whole reason we do this all this nonsense all the drafts and the undrafted free agents and the trade rumors and all that. It's all to get here. So I'm in my bunker. I'm watching every game like three times. I'm talking to people. I I don't like to come out of my finals bunker. I certainly don't like to come out of it to talk about the top of the 2019 draft class and whatever the hell I have missed that is going on there. Yeah, that's more for a... um... Nope. That's nope. more for the that's more for the uh, night crowd, you know, the after the ten to ten p.m. and above, uh, you know, when you put your kids away to bed crowd. Tr- truthfully, people aren't going to believe the degree to which I'm in the bunker. You all had to explain to me what I have missed <laughs> in the last thirty six hours. Dan, my producer, Andrea, the the video producer, you can all attest to it. I was like, what? What's happening? So we're gonna table that one. For a different day, maybe I can resurrect the Drinking Vegas podcast that I used to do with Howard Beck and Rachel Nichols. Maybe I can resurrect that, and it feels appropriate for that. Anyway, what the hell is going on with Chris Paul? So Chris Paul has not been waived. He is still a member of the Phoenix Suns. He is still uh, under a contract that pays him $30.8 million in this coming season, about 15.8 15.8 of which is guaranteed, and then 30 the next season, none of which is guaranteed. So let's just erase that. He's on a $30.8 million expiring deal. Has not been waived. The deal becomes fully guaranteed, I believe, on June 28th. So that's when the 30.8, it's locked in, blah, blah, blah. Then it's, so he's not waived. Hasn't been waived. Don't waive. Uh, Woj reports uh, yesterday that, There have been discussions with Chris Paul's representatives and the Phoenix Suns about his future with the Phoenix Suns, uh, a future that could include him being waived, could involve him being waived with the stretch provision, which would allow them to stretch that $15.8 million over, I believe, three seasons. So five and change each one. Five seasons. Oh, because it's two. That's right. The second season. So it's three and change each one. But if you stretch him. You can't re-sign him. If you waive him, just outright pay him all the money, and he clears waivers, you can re-sign him, which feels to me like it should be illegal. Um, it shouldn't be allowed. Uh, why is it allowed? I, wh- why, am I, wh- why am I thinking of Zydrunas Ilgauskas when this comes up? <laughs> like, why is that okay to that's do that? Different. That's different. That was the, the Zydrunas Ilgauskas was that he was um, – 
what was he traded and then they waived him and then he resigned right like that was that rule as far as you can't um you can't chris paul cannot get traded to oh uh, let's see uh atlanta the hawks wave him and then phoenix resign it that feels is like not it allowed shouldn't be allowed for the suns to waive chris paul pay him 15.8 million dollars and then re-sign him for some much lower amount. Although he's getting all the, the money either way, so I just it just feels like feels feels a little just like I don't know weird. Feels weird, but so, okay. So 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 let's go through the options. What is that? What is actually going on here? How about we start there? What's going yeah, on? Yeah, I mean, I think what and what was reported was that there was a meeting between Chris Paul and his representatives and the Suns, and basically they kind of outlined. Um, what the offseason is going to look at for, for the perspective of, you know, you've got Kevin Durant, you've got DeAndre, and you've got uh, Devin Booker, guys making 30 million plus. Chris Paul would be the fourth guy there, right? So in reality, how this roster is constructed, it's not really feasible to bring back these four players. And then, I mean, it is feasible, but basically your your options are limited. You're basically filling it out with all players to the veteran minimum exception, right? Like that's the reality of the situation here. Phoenix does not have to do anything until June 28th, and which I don't think they will because that will be post-draft in case a trade happens here. Um, when you look at it um, from the Suns' perspective, you kind of laid it out. There are basically two different options here if there's no trade in place, right? You can waive him, incur the $15.8 million cap hit, um, and then that basically leaves you with the $5 million tax mid-level exception. Okay, I went through the numbers yet last night, um, and then basically you're filling out the roster with players signed to the veteran minimum exception. That's the reality of it, and that still puts you over the the luxury tax, right? Sets you below that first apron number, um, but below the luxury tax. Um, that you can stretch them. So basically, you're taking that fifteen point eight million dollar number and you're stretching it over five years. It's a three point two million dollar cap hit. Um, you will not be allowed to re-sign him. That's part of the rules. And that gives you access to the bigger exception, your $12.2 million non-tax mid-level exception to go out and split it up among however many players you want to do, two players, three players. Maybe it's one player here, but you're still faced with the situation where most of your roster and free agency is still going to be signed with players signed to the veteran minimum exception here. So that's kind of the two different options. The, certainly the first option where you're basically taking on that big cap hit, you can re-sign Chris Paul, right? Like you can sign him to the veteran minimum exception if that's what he wants to do. It's like $3 million um, to bring him back and then use that smaller exception on somebody else. I don't think he wants to come back for the minimum because I think he, if, he, if he would, I think that's what would be happening. So I took this as they met. The meeting does, does not appear to have gone well. <laughs> and, um, and Chris, here are your options. We can waive you and re-sign you at X number, whatever number that might be. We can stretch you and say goodbye. Or, you know, we could keep you for $30.8 million, but that's going to take us right up to the second apron once we fill up our roster. We're not going to have any exceptions, either the big or the small mid-level exception because we're going to have too much money and so our team is going to be problematic to build uh so these are this is the reality staring us in the face is there any way this is just a game of chicken about 
how much money they'll re-sign Chris Paul for after waiving him, or is this like what what is what is the end game here? Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know about a game of chick. I mean, at the end of the day, this was coming, right? I mean, where um, why it happened, you know, the first week of I guess of June, um, you know, I think it's more of that they just had this meeting and based on you know where their finances are like this was coming i didn't see like i didn't the only way i saw chris paul's contract being guaranteed at that full number was for them to use him in a trade right for them to use him in a trade and see if you can go out and split that up into two players or three players and balance out your roster here i just never i never but, thought but, that but here's the thing about the trade though if i'm taking his 30.8 million dollars and i'm trading for whatever players that make either one or multiple up to that number near that number i'm not solving the financial constraint thing no. that i'm i guess i am in that i'm turning him into three players and so i don't care if i don't have ex the exceptions that you're talking about maybe that maybe that's all there is um i just i haven't found a, a great chris paul trade of that ilk i only have really one one or two suggestions no either have i and i think now that it's out that the likelihood is that they're waving him now you have teams saying well wait a minute i can maybe possibly sign him to maybe one of our exceptions or maybe he comes to the clippers for the veteran minimum i don't know i'm just throwing it out there i mean i look the big picture is chris paul's made 376 million dollars in his career right so is, it, is he at a point where he's looking for the 12.2 non-tax mid-level? I mean, I think you also have to remember that there's there's a set there's a set off in the contract too. So like, it's not like Chris Paul is going to get the 15.8 and then can go sign somewhere for 14 million and get both. Like, there's a reduction and and as far as what Phoenix would owe him there. Um, so no, I haven't found a I haven't found a good trade. I think you know if you're Phoenix, you're kind of you're doing your due diligence. You're seeing maybe something happens around the draft, unlikely here, and then you probably go in the course of waiving him. And then it's a matter of if, if his contract is stretched. I think certainly DeAndre Ayton, Woj mentioned it in the article, DeAndre Ayton certainly could be in play. Maybe that opens up some more flexibility for you as far as breaking up that contract. But the likelihood, I would say, is that is that Chris Paul is probably not on the Suns roster, that he is stretched that they do go out there operating as a team with that 12.2 uh, non-tax mid-level exception. And then depend and now if it's where does he go, right? Like that's going to be the next thing. Like him on a, him on a veteran minimum, that, that's a great value contract, right? Him at the $5 million tax mid-level is a great value contract. Who are the good teams that would have the full mid-level to throw at him um, that actually need a point guard? I think the uh, Lakers certainly, right? That's that's the yeah. one, right? Yeah, that it comes down to the Lakers, really, because if you if you know how we've we've talked about it in the past, where if they you know with Rui and Austin Reeves and they're going to operate as a team basically kind of over the cap, um, they would still have that non-tax mid-level and they would still have the flexibility to re-sign um, to sign those two players, go out and get Chris Paul. Um, I think they would still have some wiggle room to stay below the luxury tax here. Um, you know, that's in keep Jared Vanderbilt. Um, that's your best probably as far as a team with that full, um, that full non-tax mid level. I mean, the other teams, you know, are, you know, the Cleveland's of the world, the Sacramento's of the world, you know, teams that he would probably have to go as a, as a backup to, but I think he can roll into the, with the Lakers and, you know, certainly be their starter. Clippers only have the, um, the veteran minimum because where there are, there are with finances, same with, you know, Boston would only have the, I heard Celtics name mentioned um, this morning, so, you know, just 
perusing through TV. They only have the veteran minimum because of the whole Grant Williams situation here. So it really kind of comes down to the Lakers if he's looking to try to make the most money in his next contract. Yeah, the Lakers make a ton of sense because, you know, I do think they have some interest in bringing D'Angelo Russell back. But if this were to present itself as a cheaper and shorter term alternative, that I I think that makes a lot. Chris Paul's just better than D'Angelo Russell. Here's the thing. Chris Paul's still good. Like, this feels kind of bad for Phoenix that just traded Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson and four first-round picks and a swap and Jay Crowder, who wasn't playing, uh, wasn't there, for Kevin Durant. And I I think part of the idea of that trade was Chris Paul plus Devin Booker plus Kevin Durant plus DeAndre Ayton. And we're talking about turning Chris Paul into – an exception salary slot or I, I if you can't trade him like that feels like not great for Phoenix and then you mentioned Aiton you know I, Frank Vogel I think was honest when he was t- talking about how he's excited to connect with Aiton and reinvigorate his career I, I don't know how how widely that excitement is shared within the Phoenix Suns organization uh, or, which has been totally revamped under Matt Ishbia but like this feels like a pretty this is a lot of instability to have on your roster after you just made this mega trade. And it, it feels like this is an, they really need a stable year. Like they didn't, they didn't get one this year because of Durant's injury. And then all the stuff that went bad in the playoffs for them with Chris getting hurt and Deandre playing badly and then getting hurt. Um, I, it, it feels like you introduce a lot of flux with that kind of trade, but you had this, this sort of ecosystem that you were you were counting on with these four guys, it doesn't seem great to me that two of them are now like may not like there's some uncertainty about them, and one of them may turn into a, a cap exception. That seems not great. Like Chris Paul is an injury risk. He's older, not the same guy, doesn't have the same zip. We all know that wasn't great in the playoffs. He's still good. I think the question for me is what's the end game, right? What's the end game at point guard? So you wave Chris Paul, um, you still have campaign who's got a partial guarantee the likelihood is you guarantee him, you know, you go into free agency touting that you've got this, this, you know, this $12.2 million exception. Like who's the guy, who are the guys, right? Like you're, you're, yeah, you're looking at base. I don't think, I don't think it's Gabe Vincent. I think Gabe Vincent is probably, I mean, I think he's a non-tax mid 12, two guy, maybe a little bit more. And I think probably Miami is still the priority for him. But then you're looking at guys like Dennis Schroeder, right? Like there's a list of those pat, like, you know, one year type guys that can come in here. I think the big question for me or, or the, you know, what I would ask Phoenix is, is that if this was next year, which is 2024, when these more stringent rules are going to come into place, like I, I understand it. Like I understand why you would cut bait with Chris Paul and go in this direction. I, I kind of get it this year. I mean, there are the rules are coming into place, and based on where their finances are, they only have the veteran minimum. They don't have a first-round pick to go out and fill seven roster spots there. So I guess that exception is appealing. But, I mean, you just get based – you get lumped with the rest of the teams here in a – you know, you know, free agency is hard to go out and get one of these, you know, a guy to take a discount at twelve million. I'm saying are, are Durant and Booker playing like forty eight minutes every game? Yeah. Like what like what are we doing here? Maybe the end game is like, do we spin Aiton into a, a point guard or another or another ball handler? 
I I don't even want to mention. I barely want to mention the possibility of an Aiton Kyrie centric sign and trade because I don't know how anybody. And I, I have no idea if this is a, I, I, this is not. Well, you know what happens though is that I mean, what happens with getting rid of Chris Paul now? It gives you more flexibility if you were going to in, entertain the sign and trade option, right? Like that gives you the flexibility with his number, whether at fifteen eight or whether it be stretched, to be able to stay under that, you know, whatever one hundred sixty nine, one hundred seventy million dollar threshold, right? That gives you the bigger buffer. Now the question is like, well. If it's eight and like, what else do you got? Like, right? Like, that's none, it, none you know? of these are great choices, and, yeah. and I don't know how anybody could have watched that movie in Brooklyn and want to recreate it. But um, eight, I don't. I, we'll see what what happens. I still think Kyrie probably resigns in Dallas just because they'll offer him the most money. But I, I this this the Clipper. Like, I thought maybe could, the Clippers look like a team where they could they could break it up into smaller contracts. But then it's like, am I getting that? Like, what smaller contracts am I taking back? They're not going to want to trade me Terrence Mann, probably. If I can get Terrence Mann, that's that's interesting. But like, is Batum plus Covington or Morris plus Batum or Morris like two of those three guys? Like, it's not that Powell plus Batum. I mean, I, none of that is that exciting to me. If I'm the Suns, no, no. I mean, that's what you're basically looking at. I mean, as I said, especially knowing that this guy that he could be, he'll be on the waiver wire come, you know, um, you know, June June twenty eighth. I mean, like. He would be perfect in San Antonio. I mean, if that's how he wants to finish it, right? I mean, basically kind of, uh, you know, with that group there. But I don't think from a rebuilding standpoint, even with the appeal of Victor and playing for Pop, right? Like that, I don't know if that does it for you, especially, as I said, he's made so much money in his career that, you know, he can pick his spot, but it's going to come out of, you know, come out of discount right now. What's the, what if Harden leaves Philly? Yeah, that opens up the non-tax mid-level for them. Him and Maxi is just so small. Like it's so small. I get the finances behind it. I get why this was heading here. It just for it to come out June seventh is strange. Yeah, that's the thing. Like and so like that's why you know. Listen, you're three weeks away from the de- deadline, the cut date. He, there, there, Chris Paul yesterday, even though it came out, was not going to hit the waiver wire because it just made zero sense here. And I think if you're Phoenix. What you're doing is you're doing your due diligence. Who are my guys at the five million dollar? Um, tax mid-level who are my guys at the bigger exception here and i think that will play a big role um because you know you're doing your back channeling as far as what we can get come free agency and you yeah, what, and that's what why, can i actually like, get yeah and i think and i understand it from chris's perspective like you want some clarity as far as who you know i mean i mean like you could go down a list of teams that who have who has money and who has available exceptions right that's the reality of it and getting waved on uh, June 25th and June 28th, I don't see it as kind of a, you know, it doesn't move the needle for me. Did you read anything into Damian Lillard's comments to Brian Custer, who hosts Get Up here and there for Greeny and has his own podcast, The Last Stand, about if, if, yeah. if he were ever traded, what team would he prefer out of? I think he was asked Miami, New York, Brooklyn, maybe another team. Um and he said Miami, and then he said Brooklyn because he loves Bam and he loves Mikhail Bridges. But he also said um, he wants to stay in Portland and expects to stay in Portland, which didn't get as much publicity as the other parts. No, I, I mean what I got out of it is that um, I am, I think, as much intrigue that Victor has coming into the draft in on on the twenty second. Portland, I've basically have circled as the team to watch, right, for so many different reasons. Because as far as whether they stay at three or they look to try to upgrade and put 
other pieces around Lillard here. Um, like I think that's like if they walk out with the third pick, I don't know how that impacts Damian Lillard in a, in a positive when you're rolling into free agency saying we're going to bring back Jeremy Grant. And that's basically it there. Um, how I, what I made of it was that if there ever was a scenario where he becomes in play, it has to be this summer, especially for, especially if we're talking about a team like the heat, right? Because now this is like, this is the window when you have a guy making 45, $46 million you know, when, if, you know, where the new rules come into play next, this harder restrictions in 2024, where Miami could potentially become a second apron team or right up against that. You won't next year, you won't be able to put Duncan Robinson and Tyler hero together, right? Just throwing that out there. Like this is the summer to go out and, you know, where you can aggregate that type of money here. So I think we'll see where it plays out, but it is interesting that, you know, usually he's, pretty coy about it but where he he did start mentioning teams whether it be miami and brooklyn well like, he, he was led there yeah. by a specific question yeah and my read on it was you know miami's in the finals yeah he has a relationship with bam miami's miami everybody wants to live in miami he was in brooklyn for the nets play he's friends with mikhail bridges so so i read that part of it as Less, I would love to go to Brooklyn, and more, I would love if Mikhail Bridges yeah. were on Portland. And hey, uh, Joe Cronin, how about number three plus Simons for Mikhail Bridges? Now, I've said before, I'm not sure the Nets would do that. I, I a month ago, at the lottery, I, I had heard they probably wouldn't do that. I, I actually think that's a fair-ish offer. I, I love Mikhail Bridges. I know they got offered four first-round picks or whatever it was from from teams. I think Memphis yeah. for Mikhail Bridges. None of those first round picks are nearly as valuable, even combined, maybe as the number three pick in this draft. If it ends up being Scoot Henderson, right? I mean, like that is a massive blue chip asset. Well, if you to, said to me three and Shaden Sharp and just fill in the salaries, you know, then that would pique my interest. I don't think they're trading Sharp. Yeah, I think they like Sharp too much. So, but but my my other point. So that's how I read that, and yeah. that's the kind of move I think that Dame would likely want to see if he stays in Portland. Um, there are other guys I'm sure they'll target. You know, Portland has sniffed around Ananobi before. I'm not sure what Toronto is going to do this summer. I don't. They don't have a coach yet, for one. What um, I think is interesting too, when you're when we're talking about like just hypothetical Portland, like I've read and you know Joe Cronin came out and said like you know they owe that Chicago pick, right? That's basically top 14 protected for the foreseeable future. I think it's like the next five or six years. He's come out and said like, hey, if there's a deal on the table, I'm willing to basically change that protection to basically. Oh, yeah. Fast forward when we can move another first here. I so, reported that at the yeah, combine that yeah. they will they will do that if yep. they have to. Um, the, the thing about Miami is like that's cool that Dame said he wants to go there. Uh, what like uh, so it's Tyler Hero and I, how many picks can Miami trade? They owe this twenty twenty five first to Oklahoma City. They can probably trade three firsts now, right? Yeah, they can go twenty three, which is this year. I think it's like eighteenth. 18th pick in the draft and then um 27 29 right somewhere like yeah so probably this year and then plus two um they owe that 25 pick to to okc so they can add that's, another two. that's not awesome for damian lillard and i know that damian lillard's contract is gigantic and no one quite knows how to value these gigantic beal lillard contracts and the ones that will follow them um particularly as you know dame enters his is early and then mid 30s um but this is the greatest blazer of all time. Like this is this is still 
when healthy this year, a first-team All-NBA level player. Now, he, I had him on third team because he missed a lot of games and Portland tanked at the end of the season, but he was that good. He just, he just had the best year of his career. You said Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, and three first-round picks. And what's the future of those Miami picks? I mean, the betting against the Heat, betting that you're going to get a Heat like in in a in a you know a, a situation where they bottom out and you're going to get a great pick, like that hasn't been a profitable bet to make against the Miami Heat ever. It's similar to the Dragic trade um, with Phoenix. Like that's that's that stinks. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. There's no, I mean, those picks likely are in the twenties here. Now, if you said to me, hero, Kale Martin, whatever, I don't even know if that, you know, appeals to me. I mean, I've Damian Lillard, man. I know. I mean, there's no, I mean, they're nice players, but I get, I inherit four years and walk off playoff shots. Yeah. I inherit four years and $130 million of Tyler heroes contract. It doesn't do, it doesn't move the needle. Um, I I do think all of this shows you, I know that John Hollinger has written about all of these teams that have traded all of their picks and are so are thus sort of locked out of making moves. I still think this summer is going to be frenetic. I mean, it might not all result in movement, but I think there's I think there are enough teams and enough players in situations of instability that stuff is going to happen. And I don't think this Dame stuff is is like an accident. I don't think he's publicly commenting on this for no reason I, or answering these questions. He's very smart. He knows what he's doing. And we haven't even talked about, because it's I'm in the finals bunker, we haven't even talked about the Wizards who yeah. just overhauled their entire front office. And look, I would bet my last bottom dollar that Michael Winger from the Clippers does not take that job if he is not given carte blanche to do whatever the hell he wants, including with Bradley Beal's cooperation, because he has a no trade clause somehow trading Bradley Beal. And I would bet not all my dollars, but some of them that when Michael Winger looks at this franchise, he probably would prefer to take a step backward and get out of this muck that they've been in playing champions and wannabes of the world and so that's another situation that, yeah, I know like a lot of teams have traded their picks, but like, I just feel like there's just, there's just a lot, a lot in the air. Yeah. I mean, especially in, I think the, the approach in with the wizards is that trending water in the deep end at 36 wins is probably not good enough anymore. Right. Like, you know, and he's been pretty open. He, you what know, a bold and- stance that is, by the way. <laughs> Treading, treading water in the deep end. Let's let's try not to win thirty six games next year. Can we do? Can I can I become a GM? Hey Zach, what would you do with the Wizards? So I think it sucks that we're tenth in the East every year. Can I change that? I think that's a bad Ted. I think that's a bad plan. Your fans don't seem to like it. Our pink yeah, jerseys like- are awesome, but like I can, here's here's my PowerPoint presentation. Just one slide. Don't do this anymore. The uh, the winning the, the going ten and five to start the season and then basically kind of the wheels fall off. The pattern doesn't that that's not appealing anymore. You know, I mean, so I think, yeah, the I mean they don't go Is there in a there. Single Wizards fan that's happy. Have you ever met a happy Wizards fan other than that one playoff run? A couple of playoff runs with John Wall and Bradley Beal. Have you ever met a Wizards fan who's like, man, 
can't wait for next season. I, no, and I would say the consensus would be if you told Wizards fans you, you're going to experience extreme pain for three years. But on the other end of the rainbow, this is what's going to be here for you. I think they would all sign up. They would all sign up for it. Anyway, a lot of fun stuff this summer, I think. A lot of fun stuff. We'll see what we'll see what actually happens because Hollinger is right. A lot of these teams are locked in, but I still think there's enough. I for some also I think some of those teams that are locked in are also maybe motivated to move their own guys in some cases to to recoup some picks. But we'll talk about that another day. Is there anything we haven't hit about Chris Paul that you wanted to hit, Bobby, or any of these other things? No, I mean we're just in a. I mean let's get through the finals. We'll get through the draft, and then you know usually that last week of free agency is when we see some fireworks here. So I wasn't expecting it on july or june i don't like to be pulled out of my finals bunker i don't like that. I, don't I, like I, I i took it i went for a walk and i came back and i had nine messages i said what happened i was getting ready for game three i was very excited for game three yeah. really really excited i'm not in miami i came back after the denver games and i'm gonna go back to denver for game five but i was very very excited for game three i did not want to be on the phone no with league insiders about what in the hell is going on here i want to concentrate <laughs> on the game who'd you pick in the finals I picked Miami in six. Oh, spicy. I did. It's a dumb pick, though. No, I mean, it's not. I, no, it's not. No, the I mean, Heat I are just, good, man. I mean, listen, what I saw from Denver last night, I mean, and you've, you've done a podcast on that, right? Like, I just thought there was so much fight from them. I Like, when Aaron Gordon is basically trying to put his guy into the stanchion bag, you know, posting him up, and I mentioned it in the fourth quarter, like the Christian Brown minutes, right? Like, and I, I wrote about it and the, the Denver article will come out eventually here. Like what you have for teams that spend, right. And Denver is up there with Jokic, Murray, Porter, um, Gordon, KCP, 150 million to commit second apron, whatever, first apron, high spenders, those type of players become so valuable to you the guys that you drafted the 22nd pick that can come in a three-year guy or four-year guy that played at kansas won a championship that you can just plug in here and i think that's going to be for me it's going to be extremely intriguing when we get to the draft when you see a lot of those high spending teams whether it be miami whether it be golden state whether it be the clippers at 30 do they go out and pick, you know, kid, the kids who have been at school for three years and have been there and that you can put them in right away here? So that was kind of like my little besides everything else with Jokic and Murray last night that, you know, my takeaway from last night. Hey, man, Christian Brown was out of the rotation for a lot of the year. I think a lot of people in that front office wanted him to be in the rotation for a lot of the time he was out of it. Dude was the third leading scorer on a team that won game three of the NBA Finals last night. Seven of eight, 15 points. And I'll tell you, you spend one minute around anybody from the Nuggets. And I was just in Denver for a week. They can't stop talking about Peyton Watson. Yeah, They, can, they are so excited about Peyton Watson yep. and what he might be on their team next year. To, to your point about trying to get value, I believe he was the 30th pick yeah. in last year's draft. Um, they are really, really excited about him. Obviously, he's not in the rotation now, um, but just someone to keep an eye on. I pick Nuggets in six. I feel pretty good about that, but um, I can't wait for game four. I'm so excited we only have one day off to game four tomorrow. Uh, Bobby Marks, just the best. I'm sorry you got pulled out of your um, your finals bunker. No, with, I'm in with... draft mode bunker. Okay. That's what the I'm draft's in. in two, week, two weeks from today, right? Two weeks from today. My God. It so it's fast. gonna be the year. It's gonna be the draft of the French. 
Is Charlotte really taking the Miller kid over Scoot? Well, I mean, I think there's. Pro- I think there has to be separation between him and Scoot, right? Like, I mean, Scoot playing with Ball, Scoot playing with Lillard. I don't, that doesn't bother me here. I think if there's enough separation where they feel like he is the he's better, better. Then yeah, then then he goes at at two. But I think we're we could be in a position, and we'll talk about more that we could have like four French kids taken in the first round this year. Oh yes, get getting ready for those Olympics. They have become a basketball powerhouse, France. I mean, they always do well in all the international competitions. Um, Serbia, who I think has the second best set of talent on paper. It hasn't. Well, they have actually done quite well. It's just the last, the last couple they haven't done as well. But um, Spain and France just bring it every every time. And France has a lot of young talent, obviously highlighted by Wembenyama. Um, all right, Bobby, I'll see you. Are you going to be at the draft? What? what or or you I'll gonna... be up in. Yeah, I'll be in Brooklyn that uh, that week of the draft week, and then then straight to Bristol for free agency. Oh boy, the Brooklyn Bristol double. All right, well, I'll see you in Brooklyn, uh, Bobby Marks. Thank you, sir. Thank you, buddy. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.